Verulam Sports. Hello again and welcome to Verulam Sport Podcasting. This is Tony Rice and I'm really enthused for this one. We are talking to uh, Beverly DeGale and Oren Lewis, who I had the pleasure of meeting briefly and hearing them speak so passionately at a recent Kickoff of Three event at Hyde Park. They are the co-founders of the vital ACLT, the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. And it is truly an honor to be with you both this evening. Do you know what? A belated Happy New Year to you both. Good evening. <laughs> belated Happy same, New Year same to, to you. you. Fantastic. Well, look, I'm sure in many ways you must have kind of told your journey so many different times, but there may be people listening who aren't aware of that. So if you could just take us back and explain the, the story behind you making the important decision to set up the ACLT, the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. Beverly, okay. if you could just pick things up. Okay, so... Um... On the 7th of April, 1993, um, our son, Daniel, was six years of age and he was diagnosed with a, an aggressive form of childhood leukemia called acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL. Um, he was whisked off to Great Ormond Street Hospital after his diagnosis and we were told that he would require two years of treatments to try and beat the cancer. Um, they also told us that if we'd waited a week longer, Daniel would have passed away because we'd previously taken him to the hospital on four occasions to try it because we knew something was wrong. They kept telling us it was flu. And on the fourth trip, they decided to do a blood test, which is when it was determined that he had leukemia. So he started his treatments at Great Ormond Street and um, everything seemed to be going well. Two years later, we were told to go home, get on with life, um, as you do, and which we did. Um, but nine months after Daniel came off treatment, he suffered a relapse. The leukemia came back, um, which was the worst possible thing, obviously, for him. And for us, it was devastating because we were told that his chances of survival had decreased. They also told us that the best chance for Daniel would be to have a bone marrow transplant, which in today's terms, it's called a stem cell transplant. Um, so we said, OK, how does this work? I seem to recall hearing about bone marrow transplants back in the 70s, little boy called Anthony Nolan, who needed a um, bone marrow transplant to survive. His mother set up a charity called Anthony Nolan to engage the general public to join the register to see if they could be a match for anyone that needed a bone marrow or stem cell transplant. But initially what they do is check the family to see if anybody is a match. Brothers and sisters have a one in four chance of matching a sibling. So Daniel has a younger sister, Dominique. Um, she was uh, three or four at the time. She was checked to see if she was a possible match. Brothers and sisters have a one in four chance of matching. Sadly, Dominique was not that match. And so you can look at the wider family, but the chances of the, myself or Daniel's father or any other uncles, aunts, cousins, chances of us being a match was, was slim. We weren't close enough matches. And so you then look at the Anthony Nolan bone marrow register and the registers around the world to see if um, there, were any, there was anybody there who had a 
very close tie or a, a 10 out of 10 match for Daniel to donate bone marrow cells. There wasn't any. And we was also told that in order for Daniel to get a match, that person would have to come from the same racial background as Daniel, which is black African Caribbean or black mixed race. Beverly, um, just to just, just a key in on that vital yeah. point. And yeah. correct me if I've got this uh, factually incorrect. Yeah. Um, I believe if um, Daniel had been um, white or uh, British, quote, unquote, yeah. Caucasian at that moment in time, it would mm. still have been maybe a one in four, one in five probability of finding a yeah, match. Finding but coming a from that black African Caribbean community, I believe that the probability was staggering, something like one in 250,000. Was that exactly. the status at that moment in time? That was the status um, back in 1996 yeah. when he relapsed. Yes, he had a one in a quarter million chance of finding a matching donor simply because not enough black or black mixed race people had ever joined not just the UK registry, but the world registers. So, so that was really the spark for us to do something. It was doing something or nothing. So we decided to start up a charity from scratch. Um, had no experience of doing that. But what we did do, we utilized our inherent skills of, from, from our work environment of uh, organizing, project managing, um, networking to create um, an organization that we call the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust uh, to try and help people of, of an African and Caribbean mixed race system to try and uh, find donors with, with, with the hope that Daniel will be an ultimate beneficiary from it. And uh, so we started this journey and uh, going into the community shopping centers, churches and so on, libraries to, to talk to people, raise awareness against the inherent myths and fears and taboos that were prevalent um, then and, and to a degree still prevalent now in many ways about stepping forward and donating something of yourself to, to assist someone else, a total stranger. And so we, we had many battles to, to, to fight, um, but we were passionate to the cause because, you know, when it's your loved one, um, you, do, you, you go for broke, you do anything. And so that's what we did. And along the way, from the, right from the start, other families started locking arms with us in terms of uh, uh, wanting our support, our help to try and help save their loved, their loved ones. ones. Yeah. And so it became a, a very much a campaign in the community, across the media. Back then, the internet was in its infantile, infantile state. So you didn't have social media back then. So it was word of mouth, media, mass media, um, posters, to try and radio TV to try and get this message across. And it's, we started to create a momentum of people registering. And what helped, of course, was, was Daniel. Daniel being the way he, he, he sort of disarmed people's fears by just talking to them and saying, look, if you can't help me, you might be able to help someone else. Give a blood sample to be tested to see whether you can help save a life. And that was the, that was the message. Yeah. And I, I'm just so humbled by this because, again, I think we're seeing it 
move into our modern world now given the current global situation that there is a sense of what is important and what is core and family and community are absolutely at the root of what it is to be a human but you made such a emotive point there uh, Orin, and I would love to just get a little bit more on this about the unique uh, spirit that Daniel possessed because you know just from what I can glean the fact that he you know carried on passed on that message that it's not about me but about what you could do for other people the fact his passion for sports and he took that through despite all the pain several of the relapses into great academic achievements just give me an idea of this wonderful spirit that Daniel imbued and gave to planet Earth in the time that he was with us? Very special, one-of-a-kind individual who very much was, his default position was to give, to give as much as he could to try and help uh, others. Um, And he he would go out of his way to befriend someone even if it wasn't someone he didn't, he, he didn't know that well, he would befriend so many people, um, schoolmates, uh, family members, strangers, um, other patients he would talk to about his journey. Um, and, you know, it, it would be a case of, it ain't that bad. It's okay. It's, it's tough. Um, sort of, I'll get over it, sort of attitude, um, looking forward to the, to the next big day going forward. I think I think with Dan, um, because of everything that he was going through, um, it was almost like his way of deflecting people's people feeling sorry for him and pushing the spotlight somewhere else, mm. you know, and because he went through so much, he he was very easily he found it very easy to show empathy towards another person whatever the situation, you know, don't, don't get us wrong here. Daniel struggled mentally with what was going on. It was very, very tough for him, but he never, ever showed it. He always more was more concerned about the impact his journey was having on us, for example, as a family, because he knew that God, if this is affecting me like this, what's this doing to my mum? What's this doing to my sister? What's this doing to my dad? So I, I think a lot of what people saw was actually that behind, you know. Yeah, he was very, very good at disguising his, his true inner demons that were always there. Um, we could see it every now and then. We could feel it. Uh, but to the external world, this happy-go-lucky young man, just, just he, people warmed to him, which was why when we, you know, at the height of his campaign, um, in, the, in the late 1990s, when you know he'd relapsed a second time, and we went out and did a massive campaign uh, to with the with the mass media around the world. It was CNN, it was NBC, there was all the stations over here, royalty, celebrities coming on board. Daniel was able to engage with them to really fire their imagination to try and help the community, and it was a mass movement of people that were queuing up in their hundreds, in their thousands, to try and help this young boy called Daniel. Uh, because they saw in Daniel a brother, a cousin, a friend, a son, 
you know that's you know they, they looked at their own and thought that could be my, that he could be mine so people came out and wanted to help and again a reflection really of the the power of the human spirit because for me so often i see the news and i do want to despair for us and there are so many important positive aspects here now coming back though to your critical role is and i appreciate your humility but again out of from scratch creating the aclt um to kind of build this this momentum and the contacts that it naturally gathered Talk to me about that process and then the moment where literally against those staggering odds, there was that historic borderline miraculous moment where they, I think for, for the first time, certainly in the UK, um, a, 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 a stem cell donor was found. Just talk to me about that and you know the process that enabled that minor or rather larger than minor miracle to occur. You do the first bit. I'll talk yeah. about what that moment. Yeah, well, it, it, it all sort of happened. It was building to a crescendo um, when Daniel uh, had relapsed that second time and we were doing these drives and, you know, hundreds and thousands of people were registering, uh, looking for this needle in the haystack. Um, it's, it became, a, it be, became such, a, such a movement for for the charity and we were learning as we were as we were going on on on, on uh, doing this with family and friends and uh, running up and down the country uh, doing these drives and then uh, one Friday afternoon Beverly got a call yeah I got a call from our um, our bone marrow consultants got to get it right because you have bone marrow consultants you have um, hematology consultants but it was our bone marrow consultant. Um, and he just basically said, Bev, um, we've, we've got, we've got it. We've got a donor. And I just said, wow. I said, are you sure? Because we'd actually had two donors prior to this who had dropped out. Can you imagine? Mm. And we already knew. So I was very, um, skeptical because I, you know, I literally wanted to see the stem cells going into Daniel's arm before into his um, line, sorry, before I would believe it. But yeah, he confirmed we found a donor. All I can tell you is that it's a female. She's African-American. She's done all of the tests and um, she's a good match. And then Daniel was, was next to you yeah, as he was taking um, the call. And we're going to, we're going to proceed. And, you know, you, I kind of, lost myself in that moment just suddenly the realization of we finally it looks like we're going to do this and then I remember Dan was sitting next to me and when I put the phone down I had to just kind of explain to Dan that the donor had been found he was he was um he was concerned because he knew that this was the last chance for him yeah and he said he, he expressed his concern and I just said to him, look, you know, we've got to do this because if we don't, there is nothing else. We, we literally have to do this. And once we've done this, you will be able to get on with your life. But, but then, but then Daniel had to go through, um, and this is important for people to understand to get to that stage of actually receiving the, the stem cells, the bone marrow cells, you've got to take a, a you, the person in this case, Daniel, has to go on a real deep journey of 
getting their body ready to accept. So Daniel had to have full body uh, radiation treatment to um, basically zap away all the bad bone marrow cells that were still there and leave the few good ones left in waiting for, in this case, um, a courier to come across from uh, the United States, from Detroit, Michigan, to the United Kingdom, to London, to Great Ormond Street Hospital, where we eventually all ended up um, with Daniel um, waiting a week whilst he's in isolation cubicle. And then myself and Beverly waiting for the call. And I'm, we were waiting, we were across the road in Southampton Row, having a meal, uh, waiting for the call. And then we got the call and Beverly was able to finally relax and know it's here, you know, because anything can happen, you know, anything can happen uh, with the courier um, on that long journey. And then we went and back into Great Ormond Street Hospital and 6.45 p.m. to be precise, I'm on my video camera. Beverly's with Daniel. He's in his Man United shirt. And I'll let, let you explain what happened. Yeah, sorry, I just need to explain. We, we wasn't in Southampton Row until after the transplant. Oh, true, okay, true. There is no way I would have gone for a meal <laughs> prior to that. That's true. No, so, it, he, we, we, yeah, Daniel received the stem cells. And it was a bit of an anti-climax mm. moment, to be honest, Tony, because um, basically they, it's, it was a small bag right. of pink fluid that any, uh, in any un other circumstance you just think was maybe dirty washing water. But right. actually in that little bag was the rest of our lives all put into that little package. And the nurse came into Daniel's room intravenous into his line because you know when you have cancer treatments yes, people have yes. a line where they receive their treatments and um we literally gave daniel a bath put him to bed and then we went for a meal across the mm, road mm, and mm. i have never felt so elated I, I i can't even find the right words because up until that moment oh my my emotions were at the, one of the lowest points I've ever had in my life because I was just so, as Orin says, concerned about yeah. when is this stuff going to reach here? Please don't drop it en route. You know, get it up to the room so that we can get this done and hopefully get on with the rest of our lives. So, yeah, that was, that was quite a momentous day for not only for us, for everyone, because Daniel's appeal was <laughs> huge. Yeah was huge you know so many charts. people we hadn't said anything to anyone mm. we couldn't the only people that knew that this donor had been found and that on that date the 16th of june 1999 that daniel was receiving his stem cells was ourselves our daughter mm -hmm. um daniel's dad because orin is daniel's mm. stepfather my brothers my sisters that was it we didn't say anything to anyone yeah, in, in fact the only the only other people who who knew and it became a bit of a, a, a media fight was um, uh, the DJs at, at Choice FM Studios. Okay. Who'd, back, who'd been very much supporting us back then. And um, GMTV, which is now Good Morning Britain. Yes, yes. Both of them wanted to break the news the, the following morning at seven o'clock. Um, and so we had, to, we had to say to them, look, um, we'll work something with you. And they were both able to do their own thing independently and, and cover it. And it was huge news because when, sure. when I came back to the hospital the next morning, 
Well, I mean, this is historic, isn't it? I mean, it's literally historic moments. Yeah, there was, there, was, there was people shouting, clapping, patients, their families were clapping, people on bikes going past, tooting their horns. An amazing feeling. And what a roller coaster. Earlier, you mentioned um, through this horrific set of circumstances, one of the key elements of Daniel's being was this sense of empathy and i am struggling even to come close to being able to empathize what you must have gone through as a family because whilst intellectually i can kind of appreciate the difficulties and kind of really wouldn't wish it upon anybody of course to actually have lived that as a family must have been just unbelievable and the highs and the lows um so again i just want to say a massive massive huge respect to you as a family here uh, but obviously in many ways sadly i guess not the end of the story um so you know again this historic moment occurs and mm. obviously that sense of elation and yeah. things you know as you must as you do you embrace life with the sense mm. of renewal mm. but obviously the nature i suppose of any form of cancer is that mm. uh you know it, there's always that uh risk or heightened risk of um remissal kind of you know yeah. re uh, reoccurrency and yeah. obviously this was not just your run-of-the-mill kind of cancer so just yeah. i guess talk to us about the developments thereafter um and you know daniel's latter experiences yeah so we knew this was the the end of one journey but the start of another because we're going into the unknown and um so six years of waiting finally um daniel's going forward um, goes back to school in November 99 uh, starts to regroup the charities picking up momentum um, because people have seen the success even more people are registering as donors giving others a chance uh, finding donors in the future and um, Daniel has I mean his journey going forward because um, he, he was 12 when he received his transplant he had ups and downs uh, along the way um, which, which he had to fight on um, as a byproduct of having to wait so long for, 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 for his donor, Doreen, in, in the United States to be found. So it was ups and ebbs, ebbs and flows, highs and lows. But he kept pushing on 12 GCSEs, free A-levels, going uh, off to college, you know, you know, off to university, charities pushing on, finding donors now for other people. Um, which was which is really uh, pushing on. We're doing blood donation awareness because Daniel needed blood transfusions right from the get go, and so we're really building our brand, our profile, helping others. And there's a, there's a so there's a parallel journey going on with the charity going forward. Daniel going forward, becoming a youngster, uh, moving from Great Ormond Street Hospital now to University College around the corner because he's becoming a young adult and girlfriends <laughs> girlfriends um have holidays. Oh, yeah, holidays buying a car and all sorts of things you know and um training to be a, a a sports physiotherapist that's his that's his that's what he he wants to do with an aim to being at the 2012 olympics as a trained sports physiotherapist um along with his young peers his, his cohorts 
that they're all you know wanting to be uh, physiotherapists. Mm. But he starts to he starts to have health problems, which we weren't making public at the time. But those close to him could see he was struggling, and he was struggling with with a condition that that was that was leaving him in a vicious circle. Let me put it that way, where he would constantly need blood transfusions to have to keep his health um, at, the, at the equilibrium level that's needed. And um, so he would be leaving home off to his studies at university and have three to five units of blood transfusions. And that, and that became very so, sorry, Say that again. Oh. Three to five units of blood every week. Every week. Tony. Every week. Every um, week. Because it's, it's that's energy really appreciated, Bev, to again reiterate that. Just yeah. to give that, I guess, almost like a visual kind of context. Yeah. Would well, that be sort of, you know, a small bath? Would that be filling like a paddling pool? What would that be if you could no, kind of put so, it into some kind um, of visual okay. perspective? So a unit of blood, which pint. you will see in a, you know, when you see the bag, that's a pint, yeah, just, just under a just pint. Under a pint. <laughs> just under a pint. And under normal circumstances, someone might need a unit of blood if they've had surgery, a mother who's given birth to a baby, if you've been in a road traffic accident and you've lost a lot of blood, mm -hmm. you know, those sorts of things. But Daniel was needing three to five units every single week yeah. just to be able to... To function. To function. Yeah, because basically what was happening with him, when you saw Daniel, you could tell straight away something wasn't right because he would be um, yellow in his in his eyes. Right. Jaundice. So it almost looked jaundice. His fingertips, you could see the yellow. So his his, his hemoglobin, his energy levels would be dropping mm. like a stone. Mm. So but you could see the difference once he had a transfusion. He was glowing, and his energy levels would be back to normal. And so that would last for just just about a week, but he would need he need the three to five units again. And so what was happening? It was it's a when you're having blood transfusions that regular, it creates its own problems mm. where you start to build antibodies against mm. um, against yourself because you're having someone else's blood, different people's blood all the time, all mm. the time. So it, to get the exact profile of blood that Daniel needs, it's creating a problem for the blood service to get the right matching process. So it's, he's getting someone else's blood, someone else's blood on a constant basis and it's not always the same and it creates a problem down the line when you have too much of that happening. So Yeah, so um, that went on for about two years mm. and um, in, um, two, what, what, uh, in 2008, um, the year we actually lost Dan, in the August of that year, he decided he wanted to go on holiday. Okay. Oh, I'll tell you, as a mother, we go through some stuff. And I just, and I, I really, I did not want him to go because sure. I was so worried because I knew he can't get blood whilst he's away. They won't be able to treat him. His medical history is so complicated. But at the same time, I knew that there was a good chance I was going to lose him. Mm. And I did not want to take away his last chances of mm. having to enjoy life. Yeah. And so we put everything in place so that he could go and have a great holiday, which he did in the August. He went away for two weeks to Malia, Malia. Malia or, or Cyprus, one or the other, mm -hmm. I can't remember, one mm -hmm. of those club islands. Had a great time. There were people out there, adults, 
who were part of the club scene, who I spoke to. They promised me that they would look after him and his mates. He had a great time, came back straight into hospital. And then six weeks later, he passed away from multiple organ failure due to what was happening with this condition. And what was was very poignant and surreal, we didn't know this at the time, but 19 days before, Daniel had done a podcast um, to camera at our annual Gift of Life Ball. Yeah. And he's talking about his aims and aspirations because he's just about to start his third year in university. So he's talking to camera and saying, I've got to do this, I've got to get this cash money, blah, 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 blah. And um, days later, and we knew what was, what was happening to him physically, um, but somehow he was still aiming high, you know? Yes. And then 19 days later, as Daniel, as, as Beverly has highlighted, um, uh, we, we lost him to multiple organ failure, you know, which, um, I mean, he, he beat leukemia. Yeah. He beat the blood cancer, but because of the long delay and the side effects of everything that he'd had along the way, it um, created a situation where his organs just said, basically said they've had enough, they couldn't take any more. And so... Um, you know, we, we, we had this uh, feeling of, you know, he was, he was here for such a short time, but yeah. and looking back, you suddenly realize he's, he was here for purpose, but that's not really what we wanted. Obviously, you want your children here for the, to outlast you by a long way. Um, and we, we just decided we have to keep the legacy of Daniel mm-hmm. Miguel going through the work of the charity um, he had the biggest momentous send-off yes. at the, at the uh, biggest church in, in, in Surrey. Mm-hmm. Um, syndicated TV across all the news channels came down and filmed it. Mm. Uh, celebrities galore came down. The, the public came down to just, just mm. to pay homage to this young man. And we just decided that we would keep the, 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 the legacy going. And we, had a sh- we actually had scheduled in a registration, a bone marrow registration drive mm. in North London, in Edmonton, about a couple of weeks later, was it? And um, we honored our commitment to do it. About 300 odd people came yep. and registered at that drive. Um, and we found out only a few years ago that someone, I think someone the age between uh, anything up to 30 years old, there was a young white young man who registered at that drive, who went on to be someone's donor. Amazing. And we look back at that and realized the, the Daniel effect was so long lasting, even at the tribute event in his yeah. name, we still found the donor. And since Daniel's passed away, we have found record breaking amount of stem cell uh, bone marrow donors for people um, along the way. People who came to help Daniel or came to help yep. someone else. Another appeal, if, every year we are getting notification of seven, eight, ten, eighteen 18 donors found in a calendar year. So uh, and to, to donate could well save lives. It is that simple. This legacy will never die. And I'm sure even now that doesn't give any consolation, but the great continued work that you put in is literally day by day changing perceptions 
and saving lives. What I'd like to, for you to do now, and then we'll come back to it before the end, can you inform us of the best website to go to to get more information? And please, you could change, save lives and influence and help so many families by engaging here. Please share the great the website. So the, the, web, the main website to go to is www.aclt.org. That's the, the, the go-to website to find out how you can um, potentially save, save your life. You can email us on info at aclt.org. If you want, if you're more a social media person, then go, go to uh, find us at, at ACLT Charity. That's the name, at ACLT Charity. And find us across Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're, we're across all of them uh, with, that, with, with that um, tag name. And, um, you know, contact us. You, you know, one of us will probably be replying mm -hmm. back and highlighting how people can actually just step forward by giving a cheek swab to become a stem cell yep. donor. Um, by giving a, a blood, uh, giving blood, donating blood, which you can still do even during the pandemic. You can go out and, and, and give blood. Um, uh, make sure that um, you're registered, you're still on the organ donor register in, in, in England. Um, so, or just want to find out more information about yes. um, myths and the fears and taboos or, or ask questions about the process of registering and also donating. Because um, I still think, uh, and I'm intrigued to get the facts about the progress, massive progress that was made. Again, when we uh, started this, one of the mega issues here was the fact that that's staggering one in 250,000 uh, probability. So I'd be really keen to get, if you're aware of them, of the approximate figures that have been achieved during this time. But also, to elaborate... For me, I think maybe even more critically is that awareness level, because I suppose even now, um, despite all the phenomenal work that's been done, will continue to be done, is that some people, when they hear uh, blood transfusion, blood transplant, uh, marrow donation, you're seeing in your head, aren't you, images of gigantic needles, you're fearing what it is, it might even feel a little bit Frankenstein-ish. So yeah, could you just give us the current update where we've moved to and just give us a chance to you know get over some of these fears if you could please mm. both of you but uh, i think maybe beverly to start oh, and you go first. well I'll, I'll start with the figures and beverly can go talk about maybe the process of, of things but in terms of the figures if you if you accumulate all the people that have come through us uh gone through the register stayed on come off because of ill health age and and so on we know at a conservative estimate, about 160, 170,000 people have passed through the ACLT and gone on to, to, to the register at any given time. If you take a snapshot of the registry right now, um, it's about 46, 47,000 people at a snapshot of, of, of people, mainly from the black and mixed race communities who are, are registered. You remember when we started, we was, there was less than 600 when we started. Just say that one more time, because once again, this is, staggering to me uh, and a massive credit to, to, to you guys from scratch yeah, to create yeah. this charity where initially because of the cultural issues and just the ignorance and just the general uh state of the uk way back then 
Um, only 600 people available. Now, 46,000. Just, just again, yeah, please these, put that again are, into context. These are orange referring to black, black people on the register in those stats because yeah. the UK registers for stem cell donors across all ethnicities actually now stands at... Oh, it's, it's over a million people. Over a million yeah, yeah. people um, are registered. Yeah. Yeah. So, so of that million, of that a million plus, 46, 47,000... At any given time. At any given yeah. time are black or mixed race. That's, that's a great achievement. The, 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 I think the biggest hurdle we have is that what's realised by all of the charities that, that are working with us to do this work is that we come from the hardest community to yeah. engage on these subject matters. You know, we're seeing all this stuff at the moment about um, the vaccines, you know, and people's mistrust generally um, when it comes to giving a bit of themselves to help the greater cause. Some people will just do it and just think, you know what, I want to help my people, put me on. And then others do not trust simply because you're, we take cheek swabs from people who want to join the stem cell register. And one of the questions that we're asked quite frequently is, will my DNA be given to the police? You know, so these are the, are the barriers that we face dealing um, in our community. So personally, I think that considering we've been going 25 years, 47,000 is, is just not to me good enough. It should be much higher. Yeah. However, I'll say again, we are dealing with the hardest to reach community. So, you know, for every 10 people that we speak to, if we're lucky, we'll get one. And that's, and we know this, and that's what we keep, that's why we keep moving forward. Because yeah. for every one person we put up, hopefully we will find donors at some point down the line. Yeah. And, and with that being so, what would be your one message that I'm sure you've been banging the drum about? If there was just one message that would resonate with that one individual who maybe then will tell their friends who will then tell another individual and get that ripple effect, what would be that one most critical message? The, the, this, this can happen to, to, to you and your loved ones without, without it. You know, one in one in two, nearly. Well, actually, it's less than one in three now. It's close to the one in two of us will be touched by cancer. But actually, they're saying diagnosed. Yeah, we di yeah, diagnosed with cancer. So, you know, every other person. So it's a case of be a part of the solution. Be, be, yeah, be a real part be of the solution part rather of the solution than the, rather than the problem. the problem. Because yeah. it's so close to home, and when racial identity is so important making a difference i think if people realize that the power of their racial identity in in the scheme of things of saving someone it's it's you know it's it's so profound and so powerful as as people proved back in the day with, with daniel and the campaigns that we've been part of over the last 25 years it shows that people will step forward but you have to sometimes go very deep um with the message as we we have to to make a difference and as beverly says right now that same sort of situations happening with COVID-19 and the vaccines. vaccines and so it's a case of you know we're prepared to, to, to help and assist on this as well to to demystify the um the thoughts and the myths and fears and taboos within the communities mm -hmm. to make sure that they don't fall foul of um the chatter yeah. the 
the WhatsApp and social media damaging messages that could, if they're not careful, um, descend into a spiraling situation where so many black and and ethnic minorities fall foul of COVID-19 and the new variants. Yes. Miss out on the opportunity of, of the potential of the vaccine because they believe all the hype and the myths out there. We want people to stop, listen, have a debate, find out the facts, then make an informed decision. And if you're seeing millions and millions of people being vaccinated, then you have to ask yourself, this isn't being targeted at, at me as my race. Or, you know, this is, this is actually for everyone. And, and we don't want to miss the boat on this. So let's try and help ourselves. And we did it with the bone marrow, stem, yep. stem cell, blood donation, organ donation. We've proved it works. People of color, especially, can actually step forward. But you just have to mine that message deeper. Touch their heart and soul. When yes. you do touch the heart and soul, you will see a reaction. Absolutely powerfully delivered. And again, I will give you more than another opportunity to uh, reminders of your vital uh, websites and on, in social media engagements. Uh, you brought up Beverly there, the, the, the elephant in everybody's room at the moment, which is, of course, uh, the COVID scenario. And again, immense progress. Although, Beverly, I love your attitude that there is obviously still so much more that will be achieved. But I'm sure, like so many people in the country, uh, across all forms of work, life, society, have been massively impacted by the COVID situation. Uh, I'm sure we could talk about this forever, but just briefly, can you give me an insight into some of the challenges as a charity that the COVID situation has presented and some of the ways that you've had to adapt within our current environments. If Beverly could just pick that one up as best as you can. Um, I, I think probably for us, I think it's similar to other charities in that prior to COVID, we would be out in the community face-to-face -face at kickoff at three events, maybe. Um, uh, comedy shows, uh, uh, concerts, um, theatre nights, engaging the community and not just our community because although our target audience is black, black mixed race, we engage with all communities and we register people whatever their colour. So, but we can't do that now. There's no face-to-face. -face. Um, funds that people would usually raise for us or that we're raising for ourselves through I don't know, events like 5K runs or um, other fundraising initiatives have all completely stopped. And so we had to re, um, we've had to re, 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 adjust. readjust. And so now instead of the face-to-face, -face, we're doing Zoom calls. Hello. <laughs> We're doing Honestly, I, I, seriously, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because it literally affects everything. I, if somebody sort of like a year ago said to me that I'd be doing this thing called Zooming every day. I know. I'd have, I know. I'd have raised an eyebrow and looked at them like some kind of alien, wouldn't we? Exactly. Who'd even heard of Zoom calls or MS, um, what's it, Zoom. Microsoft Teams? Yeah. Never heard of them. Thank God we've got them because now these platforms allow us to go into corporates, we go into schools, we could go into churches, although we haven't yet, but we're going into corporates and into schools, addressing the students or the staff 
on our subject matter and then at the end they they just click some links at the end to register as donors it's so 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 we are finding some ways of getting around the problem the biggest problem we still have is fundraising fundraising and also and also engaging with patients i was just going to say because the the engaging with patients is also really key in what we do and previously if a patient was going to the hospital and was going to be spoken to by their consultant because they've got so many things that's going on in their heads you know am i going to live am i you know what's happening how much time have i got we would go with them and ask all of the right questions we can't do that anymore you know so now our conversations are with the patients on the phone just saying how are you how are you getting on how how are you feeling do you need us to do anything for you so we've had to adjust the way in which we work and the way that we support patients but the fundraising side is still a problem yes it's a work uh, it's a work in progress finding uh, funds crisis you know covid crisis funding that's out there making applications uh, and and adapting your projects and your work um, accordingly for funding because a lot of it's been now being done virtually in terms of awareness, education, inspiration. Um, so, and know, it's a work in progress. It's we're not there yet no, no, because no. we're not seeing the numbers of people registering. Whereas when you're in your when you're in someone's face, they feel compelled to do the cheek swab or to start the progress of becoming blood donors. Yeah. Now we click end. And that's it. We leave it to them to make that decision. And sometimes they don't. Yeah, massive um, challenges, massive challenges. And again, uh, uh, reflection though, because I'm always going to be a, a, a pint half full kind of a guy. I just can't help myself. So mm-hmm. I don't want to be naive. I totally respect this situation. But it has also staggered me the uh, adaptability that so many people have demonstrated sometimes i guess needs must and then you embrace but it would strike me once again that perhaps now more so than ever social media engagement uh website interaction is utterly key so orin once again remind us please of the best ways that we can find you online yes um the website is www.aclt.org Email is info at aclt.org. Social media is at ACLT Charity, right across the, the social media platforms. Um, just contact us. Let's, let's have a talk. Um, let's, let's create webinars and Zoom calls where we can actually talk about how, um, how someone can, can help, why has someone done it already, why people aren't doing it, you know, let's have the, the pros and cons and, and draw it out of people in terms of what their fears are. And let's address, let's address these problems. And we usually, as we've done when we were face-to-face, we usually uh, come to a consensus of opinion. Yeah, it's definitely worth considering. And let me start my journey now. Or let me take it away and think about it and maybe start it later. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just instilling confidence, allowing people to find out the truth. And uh, that's where the ACO, that's why we're still going after 25 years because there's, we have a high element of trust. We've been there, done it. We've, um, we've, we have to, we have, and we always will be transparent in our journey because, you know, the stakes are too high. We're talking yeah. life yeah. and death. 
So you have to be really transparent in your message. You mentioned a keyword earlier uh, when we were discussing the the story of Daniel, which of course uh, made all of this, uh, you know, a reality. And that word is legacy. And the legacy that Daniel has left that you are continuing to build is so, so key. Uh, I'm acutely aware that within legacy building and building momentum is the imperative need to work in conjunction with like-minded individuals, pool resources, form collaborative partnerships. And Beverly, you mentioned one that is dear to my heart, and that is the team at Kickoff at Three. Um, I want to talk a little bit about that, conscious of everybody's precious time, but just quickly, legacy-wise, I know that as forever and a day, as long as there will be kickoff at three tournaments and literally knocking on wood, hoping that's happening soon, the name Daniel DeGale will never be forgotten because they, all the people that come together for these great uh, tournaments play for the Daniel DeGale Cup. So just briefly, if you could, explain how you formed this partnership with uh, Michael Wallace, Ashley Levine and the team at kickoff at three. That's more you, because it, it was you yeah, that, that first met Michael. Yeah, I, I met Michael at a um, Met BPA event in West... Met Black Police Association. Oh, Black, yeah, Black Police Association, to take away the acronyms. Um, and I was doing a registration awareness event at the uh, uh, with them, and Michael came over and inquired was what we were doing and what it was about, and I registered him. He did the cheek swabs and registered and showed his, his strong interest. And you think that's usually, you know, that's gonna be the, the, the end, end, end of, of it. But then Michael came back, contacted us soon afterwards, said he wanted to, to do more and created a football event where he was working up in, in, in North London that became a football event that we came and presented to the youngsters. They played their football, it was great. And um, um, we registered quite a few of them. And from that, as stem cell donors, yeah, stem cell donors, bone marrow don potential donors, and from that, this Michael and Ashley said we need to do more, and they created a kickoff at three, and were looking to try and link to a cause that represented hope uh, for the future, and was linked to young people. And Daniel, being young, football-loving uh, uh, young boy, there seemed to be a strong synergy there, and so. Hence, the, the, the name of the cup that, that um, the event was going to, uh, all the teams would play for going forward would be the Daniel de Gale Cup and allowed us and other causes to be part of these great events, this roadshow that's built across the United Kingdom um, to inspire, motivate young people um, and express themselves through football, uh, their love of football, and to listen about a story about a young boy similar to their, to their age who loved this football but is no longer there, but is inspiring others to give something of themselves, Daniel DeGale. So for us, it's been really good to work with Michael and Ashley and the team um, to inspire and motivate, uh, but to show and to lead the legacy of Daniel, what he achieved in such a short life, that others, the youngsters, could maybe look and think, I could do that, and I can, uh, I've got good health, I've got a chance, let me take a... a, a, a from what Daniel was trying to do. 
And the rest is history, as I say. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. And I'm sure that that juggernaut of kickoff at three will not stop. Uh, we've spoke about pivoting. I know, obviously, at this moment in time, there was a tournament planned for January. Obviously, we have to be mindful and respectful of the current situation. But um, I was very privileged to uh, get to hear you guys speak so eloquently as you have tonight, so passionately, at a spin-off of three event at Hyde Park. And again, it just goes to show how so many people are doing such good things with zero ego, with no kind of, it's all about me, myself, and I. It's about community. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, check out www.kickoff at, that's A-T, numeric3.co.uk. Lots of great information, lots of great information also about the important work of the ACLT. Beverly, please, uh, in closing, I could talk to you guys forever and a day, but I'm so grateful for your time. Um, Is there anything else that you'd like to address or draw us attention to? Not for me. I suppose really just to highlight um, through podcasts like this, um, the enormity uh, uh, of what can be achieved by someone listening, being inspired, doing a bit of research about this, about, about what they've heard, that there's someone that's listening to this that's going to go on and start a, a journey that's going to have a domino effect down the line, either directly or indirectly on behalf of someone else that who they don't know because they've listened to a podcast that you've, that you've hosted, Tony, that's um, is potentially going to save someone's life. And that is, there's nothing greater than that, being able to, you know, to give the gift of life because of being, being inspired. And that's what a podcast like this can do. It can empower. And so for myself and Beverly, we just really want to say thank you to, thank to you, you. Um, and, and everyone that's behind you and the kickoff of three team for making this happen because it's so far reaching. It's a God-given gift that, that's going to happen down the line. Well, that is just genuinely one of the nicest things anybody has ever said to me, and I passionately mean that. It has been humbling, but most critically, inspiring to enjoy your company tonight. Um, once again, in closing, can you just remind us again of the best means to engage with the ACLT, where if you are listening, if anything in this has touched you or made you just intrigued to learn more, again, we're not over-egging the souffle to state you could potentially be starting a journey that may well indeed save somebody's life. Please, once again, remind us the best ways to engage. Yeah. Website, aclt.org. Uh, email info at aclt.org, social media at aclt charity. Absolutely perfect. I know you will continue to build this fabulous legacy. Uh, the influence and the life changing impact that you have helped contribute to our society is truly staggering. To which I can only say a massive personal thank you. I just want to say, really value what you do and thank you for spending some time with me this evening good night god bless thank you, and keep Tony. well thanks thank for you. having us thank you Appreciate take care it.